Go ahead and pull out your Bibles and something to take notes with this morning. We are not even done yet, and it's been good so far. Amen? We are, uh, last week we started a series that we're going to be doing for a handful of weeks called A Church Like Home. And this week, uh, the message I want to I share with you this morning, if you're into titles, you can put this at the top of your notes, is part two of our series, A Church Like Home. Part two is called A People Like Family. A People Like Family. If we're going to be a church like home, then we need to be a people like family. Family sounds cool and cozy, but raise your hand if you've come from a family, if you have a family, or have ever spent time around somebody who comes from a family. Awesome. Yeah, family sounds cool. It's one of those great words, but um, we all have different experiences surrounding family. We could leave it at that, right? We, all have, we mentioned this last week. We all have different experiences surrounding, surrounding our experience with home, growing up, or whatever that has looked like. And the reason our experiences are different aren't just because the houses were different, the buildings themselves, but because of the people. We all come from different family situations. And uh, last week, we, we kicked this off talking about the big story of God through history that we find ourselves in right now in this moment of time and as, as part of humanity and as part of the church, the people of God. We talked about how God's dream and desire from the beginning of time has always been to dwell with his people. It's not just to have people do the right things or say no to drugs, but actually that God would live with his people. And that's what we call church. Church is not built on the preferences of man. It's not the, it doesn't come from the constructs of a culture, just the rhythms of society. But this is actually, we're a part of like the plan of God on the planet throughout all of history. And we just find ourselves this tiny speck on the timeline as land is on the move. That's a good word, Brad. And uh, we, I mentioned this earlier, but last week we, we went all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 and talked about how, how church, God's desire for church goes all the way back to the beginning where he meets with this man named Abram and says, Abram, I'm gonna bless your family and I'm gonna use your family to bless all the nations of the earth and show them who I am. We see from the beginning that church was never just supposed to be a mantle or a title for one man to carry. It was actually given to a family, and it was given to a family so that it could bless the nation. So God's desire has always been that the church be a church like home, and everything that God wants to do, he wants to do within the context of family, not just events. He wants to do it in the context of family because he's a good father, amen? God is a good father, and good fathers love their families. Even though family can be messy, somebody said amen. Family can be messy. Uh, Family can be amazing. Amen, anybody? Okay, good. That's good. Not just bad stories. Family can be messy, and it can be amazing. And this morning, uh, we're going to be talking a story out of uh, Numbers chapter 12. So you can turn to Numbers chapter 12. If you're new to the Bible, it's pretty close to the beginning. Numbers chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, We're going to pick up the story about a few siblings, and we're going to learn about how we might be able to do family well as a church. But before we dig into the story, you can turn there now. That's fine. But we are going to watch a video. It's like seven, eight minutes long, I think. A video that we put together about a family in our own church, about their journey of stepping into our church here and what it has been like for them to become part of a church-like home. And I think that their story is such a great example of what it looks like for us to be a people-like family. Because as we get started talking about family, that can bring up great memories, it can bring up bad memories, good opinions, bad opinions, all of these things. So I think it's just good to start with a powerful testimony of how family can go when it goes great. Amen? 
Because family can go wrong, and when it goes wrong, it seems to go really wrong. But when family goes right, it goes really, really right. Amen? All right, so let's watch this. And uh, if you recognize them, you are allowed to go crazy for them and be excited. Hey, I'm, I'm Austin, and this is my wife, Anna. I, uh, I work in marketing here in Indianapolis. Um, I am a mom to our four-year-old son, Landon, and I also take him with me and nanny two other girls full-time. And we would love to tell you our story about becoming a part of Antioch in a church like home. We got married July 28th, 2012, and um, at that time, we were living in Indianapolis. I've been in Indianapolis my whole life. Um, and Austin had moved there from, he grew up in northern Indiana. And um, at the time, we were going to a church that I had gone since I was about 15 years old. And Austin had started once we got married. We had a pretty tragic thing happen um, in the summer of 2016. I was pregnant, um, about almost 20 weeks pregnant, and we lost the baby. And so just, um, feeling like all of those feelings and then not um, kind of like putting ourselves isolated from people because we were still reeling in that pain. And we just, we just kind of hit at that point where we had the miscarriage and we realized that we hadn't really dug roots at this place. We'd been there for, for her for pretty much her whole life and for me for six years. And, and it was just pretty obvious how easy it was to isolate ourselves. It wasn't because people didn't want to come around us in like a time of crisis or anything like that. It was because when things were good and when we were when we were really building our foundation there, we hadn't built roots and we hadn't dug in. And, and so then when something did happen that we felt like we needed support, we didn't have the foundation set for it and it wasn't there. It was probably six months later. Yeah. Our first morning at Antioch was the very first morning, the very first Sunday of 2017 when we did um, the We're Moving In series. Antioch was the first place that we came to, and I remember leaving that first Sunday, and we hadn't even tried any other church, and just saying that felt like we were supposed to be there that morning. By far the biggest thing that has changed our lives is coming to a life group, and that was a big step for us because um, it's just meant a lot of things. I, we both work full time. Um, we don't get home till like seven o'clock, and some nights we just, don't want to go to life, you know, like not to go to life group, but don't want to go do something else. Um, and so, and our son goes to bed at eight o'clock and like life group ends at 830. But like we knew that we wanted to go to life group. And so, and so we were talking to Mark uh, Frazee about life groups and about theirs and when it meets. And we, we figured we'd just go there because we already know them. And basically he said, no, actually you need to go to this other one that's a lot further from your house <laughs> with all people that you've never met before. We and, didn't know uh, anybody, it, I don't think, going in. Yeah, no. it was about the most loving thing he could have done for us. <laughs> I know, honestly. Because it, <laughs> it, it was really the perfect fit for us. And honestly, we felt comfortable pretty quickly. Pretty quickly, right. Luca, Luca was very like, quick to love us. us. And, and it was awesome. I think one of the first two, one of the first few weeks, I told a girl, in our, the leader of our life group, Sarah Best, um, just like, this is what happened last year to us. Like, this is where we're at. And... Um, she was just like super blown away. Like she was just like, I'm so thankful that you're telling me this. Like I've like barely met you, you know, like this is crazy. Like um, we're so happy that you're here. And like, and that was just like a weight off of me. Like I was just yeah. like, oh, like somebody's listening. I joined a discipleship group 
um, and they were the ones that really pushed me um, to kind of like spend time in the Word. For me, that has changed my life drastically, is to open my Bible. It's the first thing I do every morning, at least I try. Some days are harder than others, but um, it's a huge step. It means me waking up at 5.30 in the morning and opening my Bible and reading and hearing from Him and asking Him what He wants to tell me. Um, and, you know, that's just changed my walk this year. Um, and it's mainly because I was pushed by girls in a group to tell me to do it. Being a part of community can also be messy, and so um, taking that step, we knew, like, this could also get really messy and could be really hard. And, like, to be honest, like, we're trying for another baby, and, like, things aren't going to our plan, and everybody in our life group is pregnant or had a baby. And so some nights it's hard for me to walk into life group and see growing bellies and being invited to baby showers. And for me, dealing with that and walking through that is pretty much, I mean, when I really think about it, kind of just came into my head, but like Jesus is the ultimate friend. For me, it's going to the quiet place in the mornings. And I really honestly, like, I've never really had any type of thing where like we've been at life group and I'm just like, this is so terrible. Like, but I've done that in the quiet place and I've dealt with it there. Most times I walk into life group and I'm like, nope, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to be happy. So for me, it's more of knowing who my, who my number one is and knowing that like he can hear anything that I'm, that I'm dealing with. And then it helps me live it out and like express it to other people. There's a lot of layers to it and a lot of dimensions to living in community and living in, in what the Lord is doing in our church. And um, for us, we are believing and praying for another baby and for, uh, for our family to grow. And we know that, that our life group and that our church and that our community is behind us in that. Uh, and we're all going together. And I just, I think, I think the life group and I think this church and I think how the Lord is moving and what we're doing has really just stirred some things in, in our hearts personally um, that have just pushed us a lot deeper than what we've been before. And, um, but I, th I think we're also not in a place of contentment. I think we've hit, a, we've hit a good spot where we found a family that we love here, but we're not satisfied with where we're at. We want to keep going deeper and keep growing. And um, Awesome things are happening in our church, and, and I, I just have this stirring in my heart that I want to see it more and more. I, there's so much more that we're starting to jump into. And I'm not saying that we couldn't have done that on our own. I'm not saying that the Lord wasn't going to meet us and redeem us and, and restore our miscarriages and push us forward in our family. But even if he was, I think it's a lot more fun to do it in community. It's a lot, it's a, it's a lot better to rejoice with those around you. It's a lot better to relish in what the Lord has done when you're seeing it happen to everybody and you're not just... You're not walking the good or the bad alone. You're, you're doing it all together. We are going to have another baby. Like, it's going to happen. Like, we don't care, like, who tells us no. Like, this is, this is like, inevitable. So, everybody get ready. Amen, amen, amen. We love you, Bon Traegers. Can we, uh, can we agree with them for a baby real quick? Okay, here's what we're going to do. Uh, so Austin and Anna, go ahead and stand up. Everybody else stay in your seats. There we go. Okay, so turn towards them. Everybody put your hand out towards them. We're going to do a short power prayer on the count of three. We're all going to shout as loud as we can, life in Jesus' name. Can we do that? On the count of three. One, 
two, three. Life in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's how you pray for babies. Awesome. How encouraging is that? So good, so good. All right, so you guys in Numbers chapter 12, as we dig into a people-like family, anybody ever heard a sermon out of Numbers 12 before? Anybody read Numbers 12 in the last 10 years? Not, I was actually, I was looking for a story of Numbers 13, and then I found Numbers 12, and I was like, oh, I think that's where God's taken us. Awesome. All right, so last week we are talking about we started our series, A Church Like Home, and we talked about how we, we're not just talking these next six weeks about, like, how do we make a homey Sunday morning experience, right? We're not just going after that, though that is awesome, but we're, we're mainly talking about, what we want to dig into are different values that we can live out as a people that create, that make us an environment where God can dwell, where we can be a church that is God's home. So it's, that will translate to the, you know, different ways we experience things, but it's, it's a little bit deeper than that because we want to be ourselves a place where God can dwell. So the theme and the, the um, value that I want to go after this morning is honor. Everybody say honor, honor. I want to go after the theme of honor this morning because if we're going to be a church like home, then we have to be a people like family. And if we want to do family well, we have to have among us a culture of honor, a culture of honor. And uh, to be honest, just as we go, I'm going to move pretty quick because we, you know, I talk too long anyways, so we're going to try to keep this somewhat succinct, and we're going to honestly go after this pretty clearly and, and pretty head on, uh, but that's not because um, I'm angry or, or not because even this church isn't good at this. This Actually, I think this church is as good or better at honor than really any group of people I've ever been around. So I think that we are already really, really good at this, but we need to go after it hard because it's really important to God and it's really important to establishing his kingdom. Um, and, and most of our world, the world that we live in in our culture just is really bad at honoring each other, honoring themselves. And so we, we need to, we need to you know, be strong in how we honor people. And, and I don't think that people are generally like bad at honor because uh, they're just want to be jerks all the time. I just think people most of the time don't have much of a concept of what honor is and definitely don't know what it looks like, right? So Jesus said to make disciples of all nations. So that's why we're going to talk about this so that we can show the world around us what honor looks like because people want to honor. They don't want to be tearing each other down and all of these sorts of things, but we need to show the world what it looks like to do it well. Amen. Does that make sense? Awesome. Okay. So honor. What is honor? One of, one of the, my heroes of, of the faith defines honor this way. You're going to want to write this down in your notes. Um, it may or not be on the screens. I don't know. Uh, but honor is this. Honor is celebrating who someone is, celebrating who someone is without stumbling over who they aren't. When we honor somebody, we're celebrating this person for who they are instead of stumbling over who they aren't. That's our context for this morning. So in, in a healthy family... If you are a part of a healthy family or witnessed a healthy family before, then you're not just existing together. The, a healthy family grows together. You don't just coexist in a house. You, you're growing together in a place like home. And as a family, as a, as a people, um, to, to grow together, we, we can't actually just love one another. I believe we need to honor one another. 
we absolutely have to love one another. But I think that's just the beginning, right? That just kind of sets the groundwork of anything healthy to happen is an environment where we're loving one another. But if we're gonna grow together, if we're gonna push each other into what God has called us to and show the world what honor looks like, we can't just love each other, we have to honor each other. First Corinthians 13 tells us that when you love someone, it means you believe the best about them. It says love believes all things. It always believes the best. Even if somebody is a mean to you, it's like, oh, they're probably just having a bad day. You just love them by believing the best in them. So when you love someone, you believe the best in them. When you honor someone, you take it to the next step. You don't just believe the best about them. You believe the best in them, okay? You, 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 when you honor someone, you take it to the next step. You, you call out the best in them, right? So love always believes the best, and honor is always celebrating the best. It doesn't just believe the best about you. It actively is calling it out. So Numbers 12, we pick up a story here of three siblings, and their names are Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. Definitely probably heard of Moses before, the other two maybe, maybe not. But Moses had a brother and a sister, so here we go. Aaron, Moses, and Miriam here in Numbers chapter 12. They've been through a lot together, and um, you know, honestly, we don't have time to dig into everything that this family has been through, but these aren't kids, okay? These are adult siblings. They've been through a lot. They've done a lot. They haven't had like a cookie cutter life. You know, this isn't one of those Bible stories where it's like, oh, no, we're just gonna learn from everybody doing it perfectly, okay? You know, it's so, like they, they've, had a, they've had a rough go of some things. They've had some successes. They, they helped guide the nation of Israel through the whole Exodus from Egypt scenario. That was significant, right? Like way to go, siblings. Like maybe you could do that with your siblings. Maybe you guys wouldn't make it through that. I don't know. But that's a big deal, you know? So now, now they're in the desert for 40 years and they have this big job of helping a whole nation navigate wandering in the desert for 40 years as they go on a journey into stepping into the promise of God that God spoke over this nation to Abram 500 years ago. I mean, high stress environment, right? So they got a lot going on. Sounds like a uh, recipe for conflict, if you ask me. So they've been through some stuff. People are defending on them and are depending on them. And because they're siblings, they can't fire one another and go find somebody else. Like, here we are. We're the team. We got to figure this out, right? Sounds like family. So we're going to read some verses here and uh, learn from some things that maybe they didn't do so well and learn how we can, uh, we can maybe do it a little bit better. So there's a, there's a situation brewing. Miriam and Aaron have uh, some things to say about Moses behind his back. Sounds like drama, Right? So we're going to get to the juicy stuff right away in verse 1. Sound good? Verse 1, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman. Ooh, right? Because of the Cushite woman he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Here comes drama because everybody knows you spell drama, I-N hyphen L-A-W-S, right? Big brother and little sister don't like who Moses married, and so they have something to say about it behind his back. After all they've been through, after all they have let to do, they don't like who he chose for his wife. They didn't like her. They don't like how she looks, how she talks, where she came from. She don't, they don't like how she cooks. And all of a sudden, here comes this Cushite woman in their house for holidays, ruining Thanksgiving dinner with her cultural whatever, right? We don't do it this way. Here comes the Cushite woman. They won't even say her by name, the Cushite woman, the sister-in-law, her so they get mad at Moses for marrying this girl, 
and uh, that, that he decided to marry. And so they start talking bad about brother, about his, about his wife. So what, what do they have to say about Moses behind his back? Uh, surely it's something about his wife, you would think, but they start getting real personal against Moses here in, in verse two. They say, and they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. In verse two, we find out what they're, what they're talking about. And here in verse two, I think that we find two of the things that are the biggest killers of honor in our hearts and in our life, two things that will take you from honor to hater the quickest. Number one is competition. Competition. First thing they say is, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? They got this competition rising up about Moses. They were on the same team, but now they're kind of against each other because there goes Moses. He gets the title, thinks he's a big deal and better than all of us. Why does, why does he think he's so great? You're in charge. You're the only important one. You're not so special, you know, like we could do it too. Like, number one is competition. Number two is comparison. Comparison. Competitions, they say, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? In comparison, their next question is, has he not also spoken through us? I can hear God too. Hello? Anybody notice me over here? Why does everybody just want to talk to Moses? Like, we're helping too. Why does everybody like him more than they like us? Don't they trust us? No one asks us. No one appreciates us. Nobody sees us. Nobody celebrates us. Comparison and competition. Competition tries to minimize others. What are you doing that's such a big deal? I can do that too, right? Competition tries to minimize others and comparison tries to validate self. Comparison tries to validate self. Competition tries to minimize others. This is the situation we step into in Numbers chapter 12. It used to be a culture of honor, but now some competition and some comparison are sneaking in. And verse 2 ends uh, with an intriguing sentence to me. Um, if you ever had siblings, then you kind of get the, 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 the vibe of this last sentence. And the Lord heard it. And the Lord heard it. I know we've talked about this already, but how many of you know that God is a good dad? God's a good dad. So pop quiz, and we're going to do it fill in the blank style because I think you're smart and you'll figure it out. Who does not like it when someone talks bad about God's children? God, good job, good job. Good job, God doesn't like it. So, okay, God's a good dad. Now, now I'm just me, okay? I'm just me, Andrew Zanako, just trying to figure this whole thing out. But, but I'm gonna tell you something about me as a dad. Number one, my kids are amazing. They're amazing. And they aren't perfect, but they are amazing. I love them. They're special to me. I like to snuggle with them. I'm crazy about them, and they also drive me crazy too. But they're awesome. My kids are incredible, and they are anointed by God, and neither one of them was an accident, okay? Rose was a surprise, but she wasn't an accident, okay? <laughs> and when, during Heather's pregnancies, we we spent time in prayer asking God, Lord, you know, you're making these kids. Do you have names for them? Or do you want to influence what we name these kids? Because you, you've called them. You're, you're creating them. And he gave us the name Rose Jubilee for our firstborn daughter, Rose Jubilee. And he gave her that name, number one, Rose, because she's beautiful, number one. And number two and three and four and five, she's beautiful. 
She is beautiful, and she's someone that can bring beauty even to thorny situations. That's why her name's Rose. And she got the name Jubilee from God because she's anointed to just carry the year of Jubilee. If you run into Rose, she's a tornado of the joy of the Lord. She's a tornado of the favor of God and the year of Jubilee. That's, just, that's who she is, Rose Jubilee. And he gave Smith Moses uh, his name, our, our second born, our, our son, Smith Moses. And he named him Smith. Uh, number one is after a hero of mine of the faith named Smith Wigglesworth. We could have gone with Wigglesworth, but we went with Smith. <laughs> One, because of Smith Wigglesworth, but two, because we believe God has called him to be a blacksmith, to forge people into who God has called them to be. And his fire is the Holy Spirit, and his hammer is the Word of God. That's who Smith is. And he's been given the name Moses because the name Moses means to draw out. And he is a man who will be drawn out into intimacy with God, and he's also going to be a man who draws out the destiny that God has put inside of others. So this is who my kids are, Okay. Now, like I said, I'm just little old me, but I take these things pretty seriously, these names, these callings that God has put on my kids, and uh, I take it pretty seriously that it's my responsibility to try to point them in the right direction towards what God has called them to be. So if we're here in this room, and I'm part of this church, if, if you're my church, my family, then I think it's fair that I would expect a little help around here, right? Pointing them in the right direction, encouraging them into everything God has called them to be. So, you know, because they're going to have their own insecurities, right? Telling them that they're not a big deal, that they don't have what it takes. They're going to, they've got, they're growing up in a culture that we thought was broken enough. Some things keep getting more and more screwy. They're going to be growing up in a culture that is going to be telling them enough things about how they're not that big of a deal. God's not even real, let alone had created you and called you for something. You know what I'm saying? Like there's enough of that going on in our culture, trying to squash their destiny, their calling, their dreams, their identities. There's enough of that going on. And so I expect that as a father, I'm going to have some challenges to navigate with my kids as, as things happen. And I expect that I'm gonna have some bones to pick with some situations or even some friends or parents or friends who aren't helping the kids along what God has called them to be. I, would, I expect that, but not from you guys, right? I wouldn't expect that from anybody in this room because we're family, right? We're family. So if that's just me, little old me, trying to be a good dad, how much more will our Father in heaven fight for the identity and the calling of his children? And how much more does he expect that his church will be a people like family, ones who aid one another, going towards what God has called them to, building them into what God has called them to, instead of tearing one another down? They spoke against Moses. They brought up this competition thing, this comparison thing. And the Lord heard it. Verses three and four say this. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And everyone said, uh-oh. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> oh, man. This joke around our house growing up, every time my parents were like, hey, Andrew, it's like, am I in trouble? <laughs> so God calls them out to the tent of meeting. And one thing I love about, uh, I think it's verse, verse 3, 
It just says Moses is a meek man more than, more than anybody else on the planet. And all of a sudden God says, hey, you three, come on out. And you just kind of get the sense that Moses has no idea what's going on. He's just kind of doing his business and doing his thing. And, and I love that about Moses, just being meek before the Lord. And so God says, hey, come out to the tent. And Moses went out to the tent all the time. He's not thinking anything's up. Miriam and Aram, on the other hand, probably a little scared, a little nervous, a little scared. Moses is minding his own business, and there's a whole other sermon we could go on here about how God can handle your haters, right? And how you don't have to fight for yourself. You don't have to fight for your own honor in this world and in this life. You just stay meek. You stay focused on what God's given you to do, and you let the Holy Ghost handle the haters. But we'll do that another time. So they get called out to the tent. In verse 5 through 16, we're going to read a chunk here, shows God's response to uh, big brother and little sister having some things to say about Moses, starting in verse 5. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. Uh Uh-oh again. And he said, hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my service, my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned to Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away. When he comes out of his mother's womb, and Moses cried to the Lord, Oh, God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until Miriam was brought back in again. In other words, she was healed. In short, God's not happy about what big brother and little sister have to say about Moses behind his back. Pretty intense response from dad. Dad comes in, and he comes to the defense of his boy, does he not? If we had time, we could dig into all kinds of different things here. But in short, when, Mo- when God comes to Moses' defense, God just comes and says a lot of really awesome things about Moses. This is really encouraging things that I would love for God to say about me, right? Says some awesome stuff about Moses. But if you know the rest of the story of Moses, you know that Moses was not perfect. He had, he had some issues. He had some, some character defects, some insecurities, some problems. But when God comes to Moses' defense in verses six through eight, he doesn't mention anything about who Moses isn't or about what Moses' shortcomings might be. God doesn't say anything about any of that. He just celebrates who he is. He just celebrates who he's called Moses to be. And he celebrates how Moses has done his best to be faithful along the way. God sits Aaron and Miriam down. He defends his friend. He defends his boy. And then at the end, in verse, at the end of verse 8, he throws out another beast of a question. Well, I guess the first one wasn't a question. It just then the Lord heard it. And at the end of verse 8, we get this monster question that God throws out to uh, big brother and little sister. Oh, hey, and by the way, why weren't you afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Uh-oh. I think it's rhetorical from dad, right? <laughs> 
you don't have a good answer, so just be quiet, right? Why then weren't you scared to talk bad about your brother? This is who I see him to be, so why weren't you scared to say those things about him? See, comparison and competition keep you from seeing the best in people. So write that down. Comparison and competition keep you from seeing the best in people. And what we learn here is that along with that, no fear of God will keep you speaking the worst about people. Competition and comparison will keep you from seeing the best in people. And when you don't have a fear of God and who he is and who his children are and how he loves them, when you have no fear of God, it'll keep you speaking the worst about people. God doesn't mention Moses' stuttering problem. God doesn't mention Moses' insecurity about being the guy or I don't know if I can do this job. We read all about that in Exodus. And God doesn't even mention his wife, where this all came from. It's like God doesn't need us informing him about what other people need to work on. Weird. He doesn't need brother and sister coming to God, informing him about who Moses married. Anything that we have to say bad about people, chances are, I would take from this story, that God's not quite as worried about it as we are. And if he is, he's perfectly capable of handling it appropriately on his terms. <laughs> so, I'm not saying that you ignore weakness or character deficiencies in people all the time. Like, you don't need to date somebody who has no character. Amen? You don't need to hire somebody who can't do the job. You don't need to be best friends with somebody who's a jerk to you all the time. What I'm saying is that in life, there's room for honesty, but in the kingdom, there's no room for gossip. In life, there's room for honesty, but in the kingdom, there's no room for gossip. Verses 9 and 10, as we get close to wrapping up here, verses 9 and 10 says, says this. God has this conversation. He asks them, why then weren't you mad or scared to say these things about my servant Moses? And verse 9 and 10 says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And when the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow, and Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. I want you to write this down too. How are we doing on notes this morning? Doing all right? It's a really huge lesson, I think, for all of us in this. Number one, we learn in verse eight that the fear of the Lord will do a good job keeping us clear from dishonoring people. That's good. Number one, the fear of God will help you stay in the flow of honoring people, celebrating who they are instead of stumbling over who they are not. And verses nine and 10 show us something else that's really powerful and, and I think a really great deterrent for dishonor. When you dishonor others, it disables you. Dishonoring others disables you. I don't know about you, but whenever I've talked bad about somebody, it hasn't been with the intention of me paying the price for it. You know, like the effort is, you know, to show that I'm better than somebody in competition. 
to raise myself up in comparison or whatever it is. Bring them down, raise myself up, whatever it is. But the truth is that when we dishonor others, it just disables us. Because God fights for the people that we dishonor. (laughs) He can take care of anything that needs to be worked on. So we don't need to stay away, or we we do need to stay away from dishonor because it only costs us. Miriam's the one that got the leprosy. It didn't knock Moses back at all. He probably walked back pretty confident about who he was in God, in fact, right? A little bit of a backfire, you could say, which as a sibling has happened more than once in my life. (laughs) Dishonoring others disables you. And that's really intense that Miriam got leprosy, right? Like, wow, God, that's intense. Um, The good news is uh, she got healed. That's awesome. Uh, because Moses, the one that she had spoken against, was meek enough to go back to God and not have to fight for his own honor. What did he do? He went back to God and he fought for his sister. I love, it. I love the language there in verse 13. It says, oh God, please heal her. Please. It's like two pleases, like a good brother, you know? He wasn't worried about it. He just was gonna celebrate that he was, she was his sister and not stumble over the fact that she may have said something behind his back. So Moses goes and fights for her. I think we can learn a lesson from that, not how to harbor offense, because you've been dishonored. You'll be dishonored again. But again, we let the Holy Ghost take care of the haters. Anybody need a tattoo of that? (laughs) That's a good lesson that we learn right there from Moses. But the other really good lesson that we learn is that even though it is intense, that this was the response that God had and, and all of that, What's really awesome is that all Miriam had to do to avoid the leprosy was be nice. (laughs) You know, like the bar is not high. (laughs) Like, oh, shoot, God's going to give me leprosy if I don't pull off this honor thing. It's like, no, just don't be a jerk and you don't have to worry about it. So I think we can all do ourselves a big favor and do each other a huge favor and just be nice. We don't have to deal with the leprosy stuff, whatever that may look like. You know what I'm saying? Hopefully that lightens the load a little bit. Because I was encouraged by that. Like, oh, shoot, what if I say something mean? Like, oh, just repent and be nice, and we'll, God will take care of it, right? I love this story. And everything that we're talking about this morning, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus, that Jesus took on flesh and bone, allowed himself to be put on a cross because of the joy set before him. That's what Hebrews 12 says. It says that he endured the cross because of the joy set before him, the joy of celebrating you, of celebrating who he had made you to be, who he had called you to be, and who he believes that you can be in him. This is why Jesus made it through the cross, the joy of celebrating you. He, didn't, he chose not to stumble over your sin, stumble over the fact that you had thrown it away, stumble over the fact that you might not even choose him again. He didn't stumble over any of that. He just chose the joy set before me is celebrating who I made them to be, who I see in them. This is the gospel, honoring people, even when they don't deserve it. It is the gospel because this is what the living God has done for you. He showed you the highest honor by giving himself to celebrate you and who you're made to be instead of stumbling over how you'd fallen short and who and what you can't get figured out. This is the gospel. This is Jesus. And this is who we are. This is who we are as a people, as the people of God, as Antioch Church. This is who we are. We are doing this already so well, and we can do this. We can do this. We can do this honor thing. And when we do it, it is 
radical. Not because the bar is high, but because the bar's low. <laughs> like it's radical when we do this. If we will be a people committed to a culture of honor, we'll see people become who God has made them to be. That sounds fun. Think about what could happen in your family, your friendships, your workplaces. Think about what could happen in this city, in your kids' schools, if, if comparison and competition got totally replaced with honor. If we were a church like home, what could happen if we were a church like home where people encountered a people like family, where you could walk in the door of our services, you could come to a house for life group, you could become an employee at one of our workplaces, you could move into our neighborhoods and you just get celebrated for who you are all the time instead of minimized for who you're not, for where we don't agree, for what we can't see eye to eye on. We just celebrate you for, for who you are. See, we're Jesus people. And Jesus' people are a people like family. I want you to stand up this morning as we close. We're going to spend a few minutes responding and worshiping one more time. We believe that it's great to make space just these last few minutes to not just hear the word of God, but to set some quiet moments aside where we can respond to what God is doing. I believe that the Holy Spirit has been doing things in our life, and there's even a few a handful of things, honestly, that happened this week that uh, just really makes me believe that this, what we're talking about is significant for our city, and it's significant for the church in our city. And I don't even totally understand what all that means. I just think God's on this whole thing, that he really wants a church like home, that he really wants to, for us to be a people like family. I believe God's on this, and so I want us to respond I want us to respond to this. And as we close, I want to challenge us to do two things in these moments together. We're going to have some people off to the side to pray. If you want somebody to pray with you, they'll find their way over to the side. And if you want to respond in that way, you're more than welcome to, or you can just sit where you are uh, right now. But the two things I want to challenge us to do this morning is number one, repent. Not in the heavy, big word, but in the like, get free word. Like, let's repent of dishonor. The Bible says, Jesus, God promises his people, he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and pray, I'll hear their land and I'll heal the nation. I'll heal their prayers and I'll heal the nation. It starts with us in this room, repenting of just any way that we've let comparison into our lives, any way that we've let competition minimize others, try to lift ourselves up and keep us from celebrating who people are and who people's called them to be. So let's be a people who repent. Repent quickly and full of faith that God is gonna respond and bring mighty move of his presence in our land. We're gonna repent, number one. And number two, commit to honor. Just commit to it. Lord, I repent of my dishonor and I commit to being a person of honor who gives honor at all times, gives honor to public figures. Good thing the sermon's over, right? gives honor to public figures, gives honors to friends, families, gives honor to other churches, gives honor to other people in my life. I want to be a person committed to honor because it's going to take commitment because it's not the norm. But I'm going to choose commitment. So I'm going to pray for us as we close this morning and just as we sing this song one more time about the name of Jesus, let's be a people who look forward to all that God wants to do and what he could do with a church like home, what he could do with a people like family. Jesus, we love you so much and we thank you. 
We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us and your love for all people. We thank you, God, that all we have to do to see what we need to honor in people is just let your love come through our lives. So we repent, God, as as individuals, as a church, as the church in general. We repent for any way that we dishonor people. Lord, we repent for dishonoring our government officials. We repent for dishonoring friends and family. We repent for dishonoring other churches or anything else. We just repent, God, and we mark right now that we commit to being a people of honor that will celebrate who you've called people to be instead of stumbling over any way they've fallen short. So we receive this word this morning, God, and we commit in Jesus' name.